and welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. Today we are in the third lesson of the Discipleship University Spring Class, the title of which is False Teachings and the Doctrine of Demons. Class teacher Doug Brady is teaching this course, explaining how the church is being infiltrated with anti-biblical information and programs. Last week, we looked at printed material, especially the very popular devotional guide, Jesus Calling, that is filled with bad information which is taking us away from the biblical teachings. And this week, we are looking at the way homosexuality is being introduced into the church program. Discipleship University is a program within our church, First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, which provides a large number of possible classes to attend during fall and spring schedules. Well, I see Doug is ready to begin the lesson, so let's go into the classroom and open our Bibles as we look at the subject, The Cancer of Homosexuality in the Church. Here now is our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. We're studying a topic that some people think, well, so what? I know all about that. Others say, well, I'm not so sure. Let's, uh, let's talk about cancer. Can you think of too many things you would like to hear from your doctor other than you got cancer? What, too many things worse than that? Especially certain particular organs, whether it's prostate or pancreas. It's a terrible pain as you die of those kinds of cancer. Now, this is a cancer cell here that is dividing, creating two cells, and that's a breast cancer cell. But we should know something a little bit about cancer because, you see, our cells are designed to replicate themselves. And, uh, for example, skin cells, they, they replicate daily. Old skin uh, sloughs off, new skin replaces them, and, this replication process that our cells go through is governed and directed by a code that's designed into the cell. Now, some would say by evolution, evolution, but they, they don't know what they're talking about. God designed. Those, those, those codes are, are intelligently designed. And that's how our bodies grow and maintain. However, if something happened and that code gets altered or modified, then the replicated cells uh, could be very harmful to us, and in the worst case, they could be cancer. And that's what cancerous cells are, cells that are replicating under an altered code, and they're going to kill and harm the body. This looks at first like uh, science fiction, but that's an actual replication of a cancer cell uh, that has replicated. And what I would propose today is to tell you that homosexuality is a human cancer. Not only a sin, but a human cancer. It can destroy a family, it can destroy a community, it can even destroy a nation. And in fact, it has destroyed nations, we're going to see, uh, throughout history. Now, we're not going to get into the destruction of nations that occurred and are not, not recorded in the Scriptures. I'm going to lay out three for you today, but Rome fell because of that. Now, a lot of historians don't want to tell you that, uh, and they, they, don't, they won't accept that, but that's what they do. And we need to know about homosexuality from the only source where we can really depend on truth, and that's the Scripture. And that's one of the reasons so many people hate the Scriptures, because they can't alter its truth. It's there, and it's good. So we're going to start with the, the uh, biblical history of homosexuality. And the first time we see it in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 18, where it talks about Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain. So let's look at this just a second. Starting in Genesis 18.1, but before we read God's word, let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, 
Help us to realize that you do not hate homosexuals. In fact, you love them and you died for them. But at the same time, Father, you do hate sin and especially gross immorality. And I pray that you'll help us to distinguish those two, but to understand the attack that is coming on our churches from this quarter and help us to see what is going on and therefore to learn how to respond in the most godly of ways. Help me as I share these things I found, Father, today in a way that is understandable and applicable and easily uh, transferred to others. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. The him is uh, Abraham. And while he was sitting at the tent of the door in the heat of the day, and when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the earth and he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourself. And after that you may go on since you uh, visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. Now, these three men who came and were there, do we know who any of them are? We know Abraham was the one sitting at the tent. But do we know who any of them are? Actually, we do. We do. Now, number one, two of those men were angelic beings. But who was the first one? Jesus Christ. It was, it's what's called... Theologically, a theophany or a Christophany. That's Jesus there. And he has come to talk to Abraham. And he is going to share with Abraham or talk to him about two important subjects. Uh, and let's, let's look further at these two subjects that he's going to talk to him about. You see, he's going to have a son. A son he's waited for. God is going to show him, when I come back to see you next year, you'll have a son. Now, what did his wife do? Do you remember? She laughed. And Isaac means laughter. And, but the second conversation was about the cities of the plain. And there's probably, most scholars believe there are five of them. And so, you look in verse 16 of that chapter, and it starts this way. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said... Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, here's an important question. Who's Abraham talking to? I mean, who, who's, this, who's the Lord talking to? He's talking to the Godhood. We are allowed to, to listen in to a conversation here. Now, does he know what he's going to do? Yes, he does. So this conversation is for really a whose behalf? Ours. Our behalf. We get to look in. Every once in a while in the scriptures like here, or Job 1, chapters 1 and 2, you get a look behind the scenes. And that's what God's doing. He says, since Abraham will be this, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will now go down and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. And then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. So he starts negotiating with the Lord on behalf of Lot and his family. Now, what does it say? The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. What does that mean? Does it mean the type of sins were so bad? I think what it means is this progression we're going to get to in a while in John, pardon me, John, in Romans chapter 1 has gone so far and has become so pervasive. It's not just one or two people doing it. It's the percentage or per capita 
of this sin and what is going on and what is happening to these people, how perverse and perverted they have become. And so it is grave because of what it does to a society. And the cities of the plain, including Sodom and Gomorrah, they have been overrun now by homosexuality. Now, there are a number of scholars who disagree vehemently with what I have said. Uh, usually, if you could see their true colors, you would see their rainbow colors. Let's go on to chapter 19 first and see what happened. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of the Sodom. Now, what does it mean, sitting at the gate? He was one of the leaders of the city. You see, he had kind of gotten sucked in, so to speak. And first he moved in that direction. Then he moved right outside the gate. And now he's part of Sodom, and he's got a home there. And his girls are going to marry men there. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. What is he saying? He says, Since you're here, let me hide you in my house, and you can get up early and get the heck out of here. Because he knew what was going to happen. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the square. And he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house. Behold, young and old, all the people from every quarter. And we've got to stop there just a second. What group percentage is it saying of the men of Sodom were involved in this event? Sounds to me like 100%. Uh, there's just almost everybody is there. They said the, all of the men. And they called out to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Now that's the New American Standard. Have relations with them. You see that there at the bottom? Now, this is the Hebrew word yodea. It's the same a uh, Hebrew word that's used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It said, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a male son, and she named him. That word, knew his wife, meaning to know, we have an older English expression, carnal knowledge. It's describing a sexual relationship. That's what they're saying here. They want to have sexual relations with these two men. Now, no, who wants to have those relations? All of them. What we have here is a gang rape. That's a good question. Maybe they thought they had value in him and so he was exempted. Maybe he was being protected. Well, yes, but tormented by being around all the wickedness. Now, live and let live. Now, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly, he said. Now, behold, you can see what here is moral compass is. I have two daughters. You can rape them. That's not what it says, but that's... You can have relations... Uh, have never had relations with a man. Uh, please let me bring them out to you. You can do with, to them whatever you like. Now, if you were the daughters, how would you respond to that? Father saying that. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out with their hands and brought Lot into the house and shut the door. And they struck the men at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they worried themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else do you have here? And it goes through the rest of the story. And they give an opportunity to get the, the two men that the daughters were espoused to. And they just laughed and said, you've got to be crazy. Nothing's going to happen. But when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, get up, take your wife and your daughters and get out of the city. Uh, he hesitated, and the men seized him by the hand and the hand of the wife and the hands of the two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him out of the city. And when they brought them outside, it said, escape for your life and do not look back. It's interesting. Uh, I read an archaeological article. Yeah, we'll get to that. 
We're still a little ways away from that uh, map. Before we go too far, to show the perversion of these people, they were struck blind and they were still to try and find the doorway. They weren't trying to find their way home or get some help. And now, we've talked about the percentage. Notice, they didn't want to have consensual sex. This was a cancer that God decided it was time to cauterize. Now, the liberal progressive scholar of our day has sought to alter the view of the scriptures, uh, claiming that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah in the city was not really homosexuality, but violence, and, and get this, you're going to like this, not helping the poor and needy. Now, what they would like to do is to say to you, yeah, their primary sin was not helping the poor and needy. And you laugh and you say, oh, come on. And then they kind of entrap you. Because if you look, do we have Ezekiel? One of the exilic prophets. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance and abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. And they say, oh, see, that was really the sin of Sodom. That was what made God so angry at them. Now, the description of what was happening, was there any uh, lack of food being passed out? Any lack of helping poor and needy? No. No, that's not in Genesis 19 at all. But if we want to find out what the primary sin, besides the violence, I mean, and violence was a sin that was present in Sodom because all rape involves violence. But the primary sin was homosexuality. How can we tell that? You look at Jesus' brother, what he said in Jude chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Starts out this way, And the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. James make, I mean, Jude makes it very clear. The sin was, was uh, sodomy. What it was named after. Uh, homosexuality. Now, there's a lot of a discussion about where these cities were located. I tend to think they were on the east side of the Dead Sea. And in fact... If you think back, the Dead Sea has been drying up over a number of years. It used to really come down this way, but n now it's here. They have found some sites over on this side where they find rather large uh, city areas, indications of what they've, you know, they haven't looked too far, but of the parts they've looked at, it indicates that the, the community was rather large and... Guess what it's covered by? Ash. And that kind of thing. Indicating a, a severe burn over the entire area. Uh, but that's the, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at the second instance that I found that I think important to report is the Amorites. Who were the Amorites? They were a nation that came in from the northeast and conquered in Canaan. Uh, the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and intermarried with them and they were operating there during the time that the Israelites were in Egypt in slavery. And I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 18 starting verse 21. Now this is in the middle of the law but there's going to be some comments made here that I think are important for us to see. In this law that God is giving to His people, Israel, He says, You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech. Now, what does that mean? It means if you have a child you don't want, you just offer him, throw him into the fires of Molech. We have much more, uh, maybe, genteel ways of killing babies we don't want these days. Nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am Yahweh, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. You also shall not have intercourse with an animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman uh, stand before an animal to mate with it. It's a perversion. Then in verse 24, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. 
For by all these, the nations which I am casting out before you have been defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it, so as the land was spewed, has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native, nor the alien, nor the, who, nor the alien who sojourns among you. Parenthesis there, a parenthetical statement in verse 27. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all of these abominations, and the land became defiled. So the land will not spew you out, should you defile it, as it, was spewed, as it has spewed out the nation which was before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge, that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as to defile yourselves with them. I am Yahweh your God. Now, I want you to think about this a second. What is he saying the Amorites did, the inhabitants of the promised land? All of these sins that it's referencing there, the bestiality, the homosexuality, the pedophilia, the witchcraft, all of those things they were doing. And he says, you better. Now, I want you to think about something for just a second of what God did. Why did the nation of Israel have to stay in slavery in Egypt for 400 years? The sin of who? The Amorites was not yet full. He waited his people in slavery until they had reached the end of the progression of Romans 1. That's pretty amazing to me. Mark? It's amazing to me how many times the word abomination is used. And this is in an English translation. I wonder what the, the original, the Hebrew, what abomination means in Hebrew. It really must be pretty intense. It is. And it speaks of things that are just completely gross. And it's a very strong word. Now, God's chosen people, they had to wait. But then what did God use His people to do when He finally brought them in? They were his punishing agent. Now, I want you to think about this a second. What did God tell them to do to the Amorites? Butcher them, slaughter them. And the animals. Completely. Man, what? Children, babies. You're supposed to even kill babies? Yeah. Animals too? Why animals? They were involved in this. Kill everything was the commandment from God. And so, that's what they did for the most part, and that's how God used them. That's the second thing, and the second time that God dealt with gross homosexuality in the scriptures that we're related to. Now, let's go to a third nation that befell this, and you're going to find it in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, starting in verse 44. Behold, Everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb concerning you, Jerusalem, saying, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and children. You are also the sisters of her sisters who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father was an Amorite. Now, your older sister is Samaria who lives north of you with her daughters and your younger sister who lives to the south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Now you see something's going on in this prophecy. And yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations, but as if it were too little, you have acted more corruptly in all of their conduct. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister and her daughters, have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this is the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogant and abundance of food. Thus they were haughty, committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw it. Now who's he talking about here? The southern kingdom. This was Judah. That was made up of two tribes. Judah and Benjamin. Who's coming from Judah? Jesus. And he's telling them, so what happened? This was right before the fifth cycle of discipline and Babylon came. And on three separate invasions, they completely destroyed the kingdom of Judah. Just wiped it out. 
Is God serious about pervasive homosexuality? Yes, he is. Well, let's, let's look at God's view of human sexuality for just a moment. And I want us to go back to Genesis at the very start. Genesis is a wonderful book. Sometimes we don't value things until we don't have them. Can you imagine what we wouldn't know if we didn't have Genesis? Oh, it would be terrible trying to defend some of the positions we have if you didn't have Genesis. So we start in verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, and God here, this is the term Elohim. Remember, it's masculine plural uh, word. And he's talking, speaking among the Trinity. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over uh, all the earth. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing. Now, that's the general narrative of that creation. He created a male and a female. That was his plan. If you were to try and picture this the way God designed it, imagine, any of you ever work uh, puzzles, you know? My family, they used to have a a table out where there was a puzzle on it, you know, a thousand-piece puzzle. One time they found one that was a 5,000-piece puzzle. And you're looking all over, and you, you have one piece that's usually in place, and you're trying to find another one that fits perfectly in there. You... You know, and sometimes you'd find ones and you'd try and push it in there, but no, it wasn't the right one. And you had to keep going until you found just exactly the right one. That's the way God designed a man and a woman, so that they fit perfectly together. Now, if you take them apart, you look at them, they're basically exactly opposite. But that's what makes them fit. They have to be exactly opposite to fit right together. That's the way he's designing it. Now, he's going to expand on this in the second chapter, when he talks specifically about the creation of the man and the woman. In Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make another man to help. No, that's not what he said. He said, I will make a helper suitable for him. So how did, what did he do? So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took, and I know it says one of his ribs, but that's not the best translation of the Hebrew here. He took a part of his side. He took, a part of his side and closed up the flesh at that, at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the part of the side he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and, she shall, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. This is God's design for marriage. This is God's design for the vehicle in which human sexuality is to be expressed. What has happened when we come to places like Sodom and Gomorrah or the Canaanite communities before in the promised land before Israel got there or even what Judah did and what's going on now in our nation is the code has been altered. And the relationships are now cancerous. And they will destroy and eat up whatever they can. Yes? Question. The, the Hebrew word for suitable, does that have any like significant <clears throat> complementary? Or- it's one word, really. Translated help me in the King James. But it has to do with one who fits together with that person. That's the concept. Like a physical fit? Or yeah. like physical and emotional? Uh, complete. Intellectual, emotional, social, psychological, physical, spiritual. And in fact, the primary design there, I believe, was spiritual. And if you ever find the right woman who spiritually fits you, it is absolutely fabulous. Anyway, now, that's God's view on the right kind of sexual expression. Now, let's take an interesting point. Do you believe 
that Adam and Eve had sex before the fall. But was there any fruitfulness going on before the fall? No. And yet I, I'm convinced they did. You, would, you might say this, well, they were in a perfect environment. Why wouldn't they have gotten pregnant right away? And there's a reason why. Every conception that ever occurs in the world or doesn't occur in the world is controlled by whom? God. If God doesn't want conception, it won't happen. And if He wants it, you know, some of these people say, well, it was a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Didn't make mistakes at all. You know, I remember a professor that I had at rather what's now become a very pagan university. But he used to, to try and say, you know, well, you need to know that sometimes there's just mistakes and, and things happen. And, you know, there's rape and there's this and that. Well, there was a woman over in Eastern Europe who had four children. She got raped. And if she could have, she'd have probably had that child aborted. But she didn't. He was born and she gave him the name Ludwig. And he grew up at five years old. He wrote a song you've probably heard of before. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Five years old. Ludwig von Beethoven. He, he wouldn't be around today. But let's look at God's law again about homosexuality. What the Mosaic law says it serves as a pattern for us. In Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a, a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. Now, you could say in the way this works, Leviticus 18 is the crime. Leviticus 20 is the time. Uh, uh, Leviticus 20.13 says, If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act and they shall surely be put to death. And their blood guiltiness is, on, is upon themselves or upon them. Now, that's the Old Testament. The old, we've been looking at the Old Testament for the most part. And we've been going through carefully what it's saying. But there's a number of scholars who would say, yes, but that is the Old Testament. We need to look at the New Testament. Because you see, there it's about love and grace and tolerance. Does God tolerate sin? Well, first of all, does the New Testament change human sexuality and the way God said it? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus speaks of it. And he says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, there was two theories of thought here. One was by Hillel that you can really divorce your wife for any reason. There was a more stricter violation. I can't remember right now. It wasn't Gamaliel. But it was another one of the famous Jewish scribes who said, no, you can only do it under these reasons listed, uh, adultery, etc. And so they're trying to get Jesus to commit one way or the other. But of course, you know, Jesus never let anybody put himself in a box. And he answered them and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, who did that? This is something we need to remember. Not just God. Jesus did that. He created them. When he took the dirt from the ground in his hand, that was Jesus doing that. And they want to say, Jesus doesn't speak against homosexuality. Well, he's describing here perfectly the Old Testament version of an Old Testament version, the godly version of what sexual setting was supposed to be. He finishes by saying, "Wherefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate." Now, there are scholars on the progressive left who would argue that although Jesus made the above statements about heterosexual union, did you see him or hear him condone? Homosexual unions, consensual homosexual unions. Well, that wasn't the question, was it, that was asked to Jesus. He was asked about divorce. But they say that Jesus never specifically condemned homosexuality. Therefore, we should, that as long as it's consensual, Jesus found nothing wrong with it. Now, what that is, is an argument from silence. And that, my friends, 
is a logical fallacy. I want you to think about that. Did Jesus ever say anything negative about witchcraft? Negative about bestiality? Negative about pedophilia? So those things are all right because Jesus never condemned them? Now here's a difficult question. I want you to consider it carefully. Did Jesus tell us everything we need to know? I hear a yes and a no. Oh, there's the man who's got it. Let's look at John 16. Start in verse 12. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now notice there, He refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Why? Because He's bringing up that aspect of His ministry. He brings truth. And for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. Notice there at the last, he, on whose initiative is He speaking? I think He's speaking to the Lord's, the Holy Spirit is there to speak on behalf of Jesus. These are the things you couldn't bear. I'm going to have, give them to somebody, and the Holy Spirit is going to help them write it down, and then it's, we're going to have a completed canon, and then you'll know everything you need to know. And so, that's what he is saying there, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to us on this subject matter, and in fact, right it. Now, the, the liberal scholars, they don't want us to look at it that way, but... If you look at the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels, number one, it's going to go through over and over on what human sexuality should be, and then it's going to speak to the contrary. And I, I want to go through three passages that speak to the contrary, just so we can see. The first one, to me, is one of the most important. Down in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Now this is really important for us to see. And several things. Number one, does he, as he expresses the thing, does he make homosexuality much different than an adulterer? He's kind of put them all on the same level. They're all sin. And this is important for us to see in that we want to say, well, our sins are not as bad as their sins. No, all the sins are bad. But there's something else. What will homosexuals the homosexual position be as far as their homosexuality. That's the way I was born. Can't change it. That's just the way I was born. Can't help it. You know, this is not a sin to be... Now what they're doing, they're trying, in my opinion, to utilize laws and to hijack the civil rights movement. You know, if you were... If you're black now, you were born black. If you're white now, you're born white. That, you can't change that. Now, although there's a lot of people who want to say you can change this, if you were born a female, you were a female. If you were born a male, you're a male. And they want to say, well, I was born this way, so I can't change. You know, God said everything He created was good. God does not create an abomination, which is what He calls it. That is true. Now, this passage here is saying, Paul's talking to these people in Corinth, and he's saying, some of you were adulterers, but are they now? No. Some of you were thieves, but are you now? Some of you were homosexuals, but are you now? In other words, you don't have to be. Now, let's talk about that a little deeper. He's talking about drunkards. Are there some people who are born who are much more receptive or, or able to become alcoholics than others? Yes. Are there... Some people who are born who are much more likely, say, to become heterosexually addicted to sex of any, of any kind of heterosexual. Yes, there are. I'm in the group of the ones that uh, were born that tended to have difficulty controlling their temper. There are people who are born who have, could have a proclivity to sin, 
in the area of homosexuality. But is God able to overcome those proclivities if you allow him to? Some say no. I think the scripture says yes. And there are large numbers, now, now the news media won't ever quote this, but large numbers of people who have overcome that. Just like there's people who overcome an addiction to alcohol. They, they can't drink, take another drink, but, or they'll fall back into it. But that is possible. Now, let's look in 1 Timothy 1. Now, if I'm saying things that you don't like, I'm sorry. But I'm trying to tell you what the Scripture says. And you can look at it for yourself. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. For the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Here again, in Timothy, as he's advising young Timothy what to say in the churches that he's put him in charge of, He's saying this, we need to recognize this is a sin. This is an aberration. This is not what God planned. Now, we go maybe to the most strongly worded passage in the New Testament. That you find in Romans. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what is he saying? The wrath of God is is going to be revealed. What does that mean? We will see the effects of the wrath of God on these people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Is that going on in our nation today? Yeah, it is. And we're going to see as we go on because this is describing what those of us who say have been alive since 1950 have seen in our own country happening. Here's what it says. For since the, for no, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. What is he saying? They can't say, I didn't know about God. He said, I made it evident to you. I put it in you. It's part of your code. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. Now, before we get to verse 24, what you need to understand is that Paul's describing a time when everybody, if they were going to worship a false god, they'd make an image of him. We're much more sophisticated than that. The gods we, in our society, worship, like power, prestige, pleasure, position, money, wealth, those kind of things, that's what we worship. As afraid, and there's maybe some more things, but we don't need to get into that now. But I want you to see what God does. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So what is he saying there? What is going on? Exchange the truth of God and worship and serve. If you look at that passage before the one in blue, you will see that he is giving them over after they turned their back on God and started worshiping other gods to sexual impurity of a heterosexual nature. That's what he's saying has happened. Now, that's, that's where the wrath of God begins. Right. Verse 24. That's when you start to see it, Gary. When the... The, the sexual appetite of a people turns to not following God's desires for sexuality only between a married man and his wife, but instead rampant. Now, 
I started thinking back. When did I first see this in our nation? Well, I go back farther than that. I'd say the 50s. You see, when I was a child, I used to go over to my grandparents' apartment. And there were certain times of the day where all you could do if you were over there, you had to sit down and watch because they had these shows they were going to watch. Uh, the Edge of Night was one of them I particularly remember. And these soap operas that they watched almost invariably had adultery involved. Either fornication or adultery. Fornication is a more general term, but it usually is used to, be, to refer to sex before marriage, where adultery is sex after marriage, but not with your spouse. And who used to watch soap operas for the most part? Housewomen. House, uh, you know, housewives. And they would watch that. And they begin to think, well, you know, everybody does this. This is what everybody's doing. And were their husbands of the kind who would think, well, yeah, I can go along with that too. And they would see things going on at the offices. And the sexual immorality, it would be hidden, but it was prolific. Then came the 60s that you mentioned, and now it was free love, which meant open sexual immorality. And that's what started on in our nation. Now, when that happens and it becomes to the point where it's pervasive, what is God going to do? Well, that starts in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Now, before he gave them over to their passions in a heterosexual setting and that just sex everywhere. And that happened in our nation. And, you know... In the 50s, you wouldn't have a movie that showed sexual intercourse. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, they became prolific. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, is there any question in the Old Testament that this homosexuality is a sin? No, there's no question. Is, it also, is there any question after looking at this that this is something that God has brought about as a form of punishment for heterosexual immorality? Do you see that? Well, that's what God has done and that's what He's doing here. Now, also I want you to notice the order. The order of what came first after the when God gave them over to degrading passions. Who was first? Women. Now, why is that? Well, I think, think of two reasons. Number one, if you had a male watching an award show, let's say, like the Oscars, and there's two men who were hosting it, let's say, moderating it, and they kissed, what would the man's reaction be as opposed to, say, two women up there who were hosting it, and they kissed. Do you see how he's going to respond differently? And there was a time that you could, they would do these kind of surveys. What is your biggest sexual fantasy? And you know basically what it was? A menage de trois. But who were they usually thinking of? In the, one male, two females. And so you see what was going on there. And this is what he said. Now I want you to look at it the next thing. And just as they did not seem fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. Now, I have to tell you, I used to think giving over to, this is supposed to be where you get worse and worse. But the depraved mind, is that worse than the rampant homosexuality? I used to think not. However, my wife has educated me over some of the things that are going on in our nation today. And now I understand what it is to have a depraved mind and do things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, slanderers, haters of God. Now, does that describe our nation? They just not... Well, I, I don't believe in God. They hate God. Insolent arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. 
Disobedient to parents. Some say, why is that in there? Because that's where this starts. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they, knew the, they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. So I think they can come back, but each time, each step down becomes harder and harder. What a point, though, that you can't come back. No. Death. No. I think death, or either death or there's a rapture, because I think man can be saved at any time. God can overcome any sin. There is no unpardonable sin other than choosing to reject to believe that Jesus Christ. When you say incapable, I would say no, but highly unlikely. Yes. Now what I tried to do is put together a progressive chart so we could see it again. Yeah, the sequencing of these events. So the first one is, God is known to mankind. The second one is, but man elects to reject God. That's where it starts. Then the third is that the man chooses to worship false gods. Not that he's, re you know, Cain, did Cain have any question of whether the existence of God? No, he's talked to him. Face to face. But he chose to reject God. But now the man chooses to ignore God and worship false gods. And then the next thing comes, God gives them over to rampant heterosexual immorality. Then the next step down is and then he gives them over to rampant homosexual deviance. And finally, he gives them over to a degraded and depraved mind and heart. What was the very first sin that was ever committed? Whose sin was it? Lucifer. Did he not do the same thing? And what about Adam and Eve? When she saw that it was good and the boastful pride of life. Satan keeps using the same trick over and over and over. You'd think at first, why would he do that? And the answer is, because it works. That's the reason he uses it. It works. But I wanted you to see how this progression goes because that's what's happened in our country. And we need to recognize that. Because let's talk about the danger that homosexuality is now presenting to the church. The church in general and our church in specifics. And we need to realize it is coming. So, what are we talking about? What do we need to say when we look at this? Is the homosexuality really a cancer that's destroying the heart of God's church? Well, first of all, one would think the church wouldn't embrace homosexuality. But the church in general has. If you were to listen to this man's sermons, his name is Brian Zond. He is the pastor of the Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. He has a very well-known video out in which he apologizes to the gay community for how they have been vilified by the church. He claims that such actions by the church are demonic and that these actions of the church are based on human hate for this minority group. And to say that that homosexuality is a sin is just wrong. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's what he says. Now, there's another guy. Let me give you an example of him. This is a guy named Jay Baker. You're probably more familiar with his father, Jim Baker. But this guy was a co-founder co of a church called the Revolution Church. Let me I have a quote that I... Uh, picked up from an interview he had uh, with ABC News. Here's what he says. It sounds so churchy, but I felt like God spoke to my heart and said homosexuality is not a sin. Now, it is rampant in our churches, but this is an attack that's being planted both with people on the inside and people on the outside. Uh, so I want you to see that you, know, you can't just blame parents. If a son's a homosexual, you can't say, oh, that's the parent's fault. No. He makes the choice. Every person makes the choice because every person is responsible for the choices they make. God's going to hold them accountable. But like Gary said, it also comes this curse. 
Just like when he set up the cycles of discipline for Israel. The first set of discipline was not as bad as the fifth one. But if you keep going and these things happen and you don't turn, then eventually you're going to get the worst. The fifth cycle, and that's what comes. Now, here's something I think we, we need to understand and look at. I've done some research on this House Bill 5. Now, let me ask you this. Should you call your congressman and tell them that you're opposed to House Bill 5? She's exactly right. On February 25th, the House passed this. Now, the Senate hasn't yet. Do you think our president would sign it if it came to his desk? Yes, he will. Now, let's look at this. The bill prohibits discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Now, that means any form of homosexuality or gender change. Now, in areas including public accommodations, education, and employment, do any of those three apply to the church? Employment does, yep. What about education? And there's church schools. Dallas Theological Seminary, Crystal College, the uh, college, what's the name of the one down in Sugarland? Yeah, but no, I'm at the, the school though, that they have down there. I can't remember the name of it. So, if you're a church and you don't employ a homosexual because they're homosexual, you violated this law. If you're involved in education and you don't accept students that way, you don't let them live in your dorm that way, you violated this law. Now, does really public accommodations have anything to do with the church? Well, let's look at their definition. The bill expands the definition of public accommodations to include places or establishments that provide gatherings. Do you know any federal court judges who would say, well, they're gathering at the church for a church meeting? This bill is talking about churches, and it's designed that way. Now, go to the next part of this bill. The bill allows the Department of Justice, so if you have, I want you to think about this, if you have, let's say there was a homosexual male who came down and said, I wanted to join your church. And we said, sure. According to their plan, then another homosexual male comes down and says, I want to join your church. And we say, sure. Then, after spending some time, participating in the church activities, they say, you know what, pastor, we would like you to marry us. No chance. We don't do that. We don't believe in same-sex marriage. That's contrary to the scripture. Well, then I'm suing you. And they get an attorney and they sue. Now, that's one thing. But what does this bill say? The Department of Justice can intervene on that suit. And now, you're not fighting the attorney for those two men, you're fighting the United States government. They don't ever run out. Now, the bill prohibits an individual from being denied access to, to uh, restroom, locker, dressing rooms based on their choice of their gender identity. Yes? If the parents are gay and they are refused the child because the parents are gay. Is the child gay? Christian, no. Into a Christian school private school, does that mean that that child can go to that school if those parents are gay? I believe it, it does. They should have the freedom to say no. They should have to they, they should. Well, now let me say this. I think, and this is just my opinion, I see it. If a child is offered to a Christian school and the child, let's say, was born a female and claims to be a female, and is not a homosexual, not a lesbian, and wants to attend the school, I think that the school should admit her because they have a chance now to help break the cycle of what the parents have shown. The parents have right. But should that school have the choices? I'm, I'm talking should versus have to. I think they should have the choice of saying no to that. Why? Because of what's going to happen. What's going to be going on Say at football game, she's a cheerleader. They come to the football game, and there's two women or two men, and the activities is going on there. They're right, I think, to make a choice. But this is where it's hard for members of the church 
there should be no hatefulness towards people because we all sin. And to say, I'm picking this sin out and I'm going to hate people who participate in this sin. God doesn't do that. That's what the argument begins in Romans chapter 2. Yes, you're right. I mean, Romans chapter 2 says, Oh, you who pass judgment, look at what you're doing. Yep, we're all sinners in this. But we have to recognize something that the homosexual lobby, the homosexual movement has a plan. And you need to understand this plan. And the plan is this. They want to attack, but what they'll do first is, I think I should have equal status with my opposition. I should be equal with them. You should tolerate me. I should be able to make a choice. Does the Bible say that you have a right to choose to be a homosexual? I think the scripture basically should be interpreted, yeah, you do have a right. But you're going to pay the consequences for that choice because that's a choice to sin. I have a choice, a right to make a choice to be unfaithful to my wife. But if I do, I'll have, well, besides, if she finds out, yeah. But, no, I shouldn't even say things like that. But the fact is, I'm going to pay for that decision. And I don't mean from Julie, I mean from God. You can choose the sin, you do not choose the judgment. Right. Number one, I think you say has been proven. There have been studies exactly to the opposite. And that people can change their behavior like that. And that brain pattern is not preclusive to only being homosexual. They weren't made like that. They have become like that from a series of choices and environmental influences. But not, they're not born like that. But now, let me tell you here, they want equal status. But that's only the first step. You see, the second step in their plan is this. They want to marginalize the opposition. Those who think differently, you don't know science, you don't know reality, you don't know what's correct. I mean, now, going back to your questions a second, if God says homosexuality is a sin, and quote-unquote scientific studies say, no, this is just a, a way somebody was born. They can't help it from birth. Who's right? I'm going to always go with the Bible. The Bible says sin is a choice, and you choose that. So what God is saying is, even with a sinner, your mind can be renewed? Yes. We are all born sinners. We have an old sin nature in us. the sin nature of adultery or, or heterosexual sin. So you have to choose. Yeah, you have a proclivity, if you want to say that, toward one or the other. But she's saying much different. She's saying not that you have a proclivity. You have an unstoppable, an immutable, uh, you're made like this, you can't help it. You're made in the sin nature. All of it. Yes, but it's a proclivity, and it's not something that you can't avert. When you're born again, you have the power over all sin. That is true. Because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. But, now, let's look at this again. Number one, you're gonna, they want to obtain equal status. Number two... They're going to marginalize us as ignorant. But number three, they're going to destroy or outlaw their opposition. That is what's coming. Like what they did to the baker in Utah. They're going to destroy you. If you believe the opposite from us, if you take the position that it's a sin and we can't do any, and uh, I should be able to do something about it, we're going to destroy you. That's what this bill is about, to destroy you. It's not to gain equality. It's to destroy. Yes? Does that not infringe on our Fourth Amendment rights? Well, obviously... <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, obviously it does. But here's the problem. Who says whether it does or not? Not specifically the Supreme Court. If that is put in the people who say the... Constitution is a living document and it changes with the times and it provides these things. I mean, we've already talked about that before, uh, the penumbras of, of the Constitution. What does that mean? You know, they come up with this stuff and it's whatever they want to say it is. So you have this problem and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And you have to decide how you are going to live. 
what are you going to do? Are you going to stand up for what you claim is right? And then they're going to beat on you in however many ways, usually maybe even using the power of the law and the government. Yep. And this church is a prime target. Prime target. God's wrath is not controlled by the Constitution, obviously. And what he says is going to happen is going to happen. Well, what does Paul say? He says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. So we need to know that it's coming. This is not a question of equality. It's a question of destruction. All right. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I know this is a controversial subject. And I know that there are difficulties for people. And I know that there are people we know, every one of us knows, that their views are different. Help us, Father, to understand that we have a responsibility to look to the Bible to see what it says. Because it is the ultimate source of truth. That's why you gave it to us, so that we could know the truth. And however people want to disguise it, however people want to deny it, that it is still the truth and it doesn't change. But Father, help us not to be hateful, but loving to those who you died for. We can maybe be strong-minded towards those you didn't die for, but uh, that we should be loving to those who you loved enough to die for. I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.